Hey guys, welcome to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. Where do you turn when times get rough? What do you hold on to in the storms of life? Today we are in Hebrews 6, where the author tells us that Jesus is the anchor of our soul. Follow along to hear more and discover what this means for daily living. We hope you enjoy this message. So we're in the last uh, week of this series, Hope, and the whole six weeks that we've been doing this, we have been talking about hope in all kinds of circumstances, hope in our anxiety, hope in the times where we need healing, hope in the times that we need help, uh, and all other kinds of places. And hopefully you have realized a common theme that is simply this, is that our hope is Jesus. Jesus is our hope. There is nothing else that gives us hope in this life, nothing else that lasts, nothing else that keeps its promise or is faithful through and through, nothing else that is, as we're going to read today in Hebrews chapter 6, the anchor for our souls, nothing else that is sturdier than Jesus. So you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 13 through 20, and I already said it. This is the verse, maybe you've heard it before, that talks about Jesus being the anchor of our souls souls. Maybe this needs to be your new life verse. Maybe you've been asked uh, this question, which I I get asked this question from time to time. And I I don't like love it because I don't really super have a life verse. I'm just like, uh, the Bible, have you read it, right? Uh, that's my life verse, the whole thing. Um, but but I know a lot of people really like that idea of having a life verse, and maybe this is going to be one for you, one of these verses in here about Jesus being the anchor of our soul. Uh, before we get to the scripture, again, Hebrews 6, if you're turning there, uh, I do want to ask you guys, have you ever had a point in your life where you have wanted to give up? Uh, maybe you have experienced this in, this is kind of a, a silly, playful way, but have you ever been working out or just running, okay? Or maybe even just walking, and you were like, I don't know if I could do this any longer. Has anybody experienced that? Uh, maybe in like your PE or gym class, or maybe you've actually been like at the gym working out uh, or, or running, and uh, yeah, I was thinking about this a lot this morning because actually, to point to Morgan again, her, did you guys know that Morgan is engaged? Have we talked about that yet? We need to. Congratulations. She is now a fiance and she, uh, she has, an, is that, that's correct, right? Women are fiances as well and men? Okay, good. Just making sure that's correct. Um, so yeah, she's going to get married. She's getting married to a guy named Brad. Hopefully you guys will meet him uh, very, very soon. And Brad did a thing this weekend called Ville to Ville. It was a race, a run, which sounds terrible. Why would you do this? It was from Greenville to Asheville. Did you guys know that this existed? Did you know this existed, Scott? I figured that you would. Did you participate? Okay, good for you, man. Hey, you're holding strong. You decided to give up this year. That's why. I... <laughs> uh, so she said, and they would do it in, in like different legs, right? So like there might be six or seven people who are a part of a group and one guy goes to this point and the other person has to run to them and it's kind of like a relay. As soon as they get there, then that guy takes off and goes, you know, maybe three or four miles down the road, which actually doesn't sound terrible. But when I think about running for the most part in general, I'm like, I know that that's going to hurt and be painful, and so I'm just not going to do it because I will want to give up. Uh, sometimes there's there's moments in the gym. I try to go to the gym like three times a week. I know that you guys can tell, right, <laughs> that I've been working out. But there, there's a lot of times I'm in the gym, and I do I do like going to the gym. I like moving some weights. I have really big like tree trunk legs, and so I can put a lot of weight on my back and do some good squats. And I feel good about it, but there's a lot of times in the gym where I'm like, 
I don't want to be here. You know, and I haven't even started at this point, right? I'm like, I'm like, haven't even made it to the changing room to change into my gym clothes. And uh, I'm like, I don't want to be here. I need to go home. There's so many things to do. Uh, but I know that on the other side of it, and maybe that's what people do when they run, they're, they're like thinking with the end in mind or like, like whatever the end goal is, it kind of, kind of gives them something to hold on to while they're working out or while they're running, right? Like for me, I'm hopefully going to get in shape one day. And uh, that's the point of, of working out. Or I'll, I'll at least be able to move more weight uh, or all my motivation sometimes is just to be able to play with my kids for a lot longer as I, I get older man I'm getting so old <laughs> not really I feel pretty good but 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 like I think about the long-term goals and what what the gains are like the rewards you know the muscle gains in the gym and I'm like okay well I can I can get through this I can finish my workout maybe in some weird way that's what people think about when they run I don't know but it gives them something to anchor to um, when they're experiencing those hard times and when they want to give up and I know those are kind of like silly things. Maybe for you, you've experienced this when you were studying for a test or writing a paper and you get to this brick wall and you're like, it's time to give up, okay? I'm gonna fail this test anyway. Uh, let me close the book, close my computer. I'm done studying for the day. Or uh, I don't know if this paper makes any kind of sense. Uh, it might be time to just close it all and, and give up, right? But, but hopefully there's something that pushes you through like, okay, well, no, I do need to get a good grade on this test or I do need to finish this paper because the teacher actually is gonna read it and see what it's says, and it needs to sound somewhat readable, right, somewhat good. And so there's something that you hold on to, and, and it helps you push through in the end. But, but maybe some of those silly ones, is kind of easy to get through, like, okay, working out or studying. But there's other things that are, are a lot harder in life that sometimes it's not as easy to see the other side of, or not as easy to feel grounded in the same way. One of the things for me, uh, both for myself and as I'm like talking with, with some of you guys or uh, with anybody really, is one of the, the times when I, I want to give up the most is when I just feel like we're stuck in a certain situation. So it does happen for myself, but specifically when I'm, I'm counseling other people or I'm talking with, with friends and they're asking like, hey, what do you think I'm supposed to do? Or what do you think God's called me to do in this situation? Like maybe they find their, themselves in a bind in a sticky situation and we, we talk about it and we pray about it and we might read some scripture about it and then we leave and we're like, yeah, I think this is what, what God's calling me to do. And they leave and then a week goes by and then they're sending me a, a text or calling me and they're like, hey, can we meet again? And we meet again and they're still struggling with the same thing. And so we talk through the same stuff and we read about the same stuff and we pray through the same stuff. And we, we both leave really energized like, yes, this is what we're supposed to go after. This is what God's calling us to. Okay, a week goes by, they call again or they text again and we meet about the same stuff. And over and over and over again, this happens. And so many times I'm like, man, what, what's the point? Like we've talked about it, we've prayed about it, we've read scripture about it, we've sought the Lord on this specific thing, and yet this person, or maybe it's even me, is still stuck in this situation. Why don't we just give up? Like, what are we supposed to be, what are we supposed to do right now? Maybe you've found yourself in that kind of situation where something just keeps coming up, or you keep feeling like you're stuck, or maybe it's a, a situation that you want to give up right now in when it comes to something in your family, or your own like mental struggles that you're going through or something in a, a friendship or, or maybe it's even your faith. Like you've been calling out and you've been asking God, hey, show up, show up, God. I, I need you in this moment and you don't feel like he's showing up in the way that you're asking and it makes you want to give up. What do you do when you're in those situations? Where do you find some sort of stronghold? Where do you find some sort of anchor, if you will, when you're in those moments where you just want to give up? 
This book of Hebrews is kind of interesting. It's a letter written to uh, a people that, honestly, we don't know who the author of this letter was. It's kind of different than some of the other letters in the Bible. Like 1 John lets us know it's written by John, right? Uh, Peter lets us know it's written by Peter. Uh, all, all the other letters in the Bible, we seem to have a pretty clear answer to who wrote it. And for the most part, not just who wrote it, but who it was written to. I mean, and that, that's most letters, right? You write your name and your address and the name and address of the people that you're going to send a letter to if you've ever done that before. But Hebrews doesn't really have that. We're not really sure who the author could have been. You could read a lot of smart people who disagree and think one person wrote it or another person wrote it. Uh, and, but on the other side, we also don't exactly know who it was written to. But by the context of the book or of the letter, we can see that whoever it was written to, and most likely it was written to, uh, obviously, some, some Christians, but specifically people who were Jewish Christians. So they were once Jewish, and then now they were believing in Jesus. That seems kind of clear from uh, some of the context clues in the letter. But we also see that these people, again, whoever it was written to, we'll just call them the Hebrews for today, that they, they were experiencing persecution. And they were going through a tough time where they too, I mean, it's not just us in 2022, you know, thousands of years after the people in the Bible were even alive, who want to give up, but there were times in the scriptures where people wanted to give up as well. And we see, again, based on things that you read in this letter, that people were starting to walk away from gathering regularly as the church, as the people of God, and maybe were even starting to turn their back on God and wonder, where are you in the midst of, literally, people people losing their life, people being jailed, like put in prison, and all kinds of other persecution that these people were experiencing. They were in a situation where they needed hope. And in the midst of that, the author of Hebrews writes this letter to them, and so much of this letter is reminding them of who God is and who they are called to be and reminding them of where it is that they can find their hope, which we've kind of already talked about, is found in Jesus. So let's read specifically verses 13 through 20 to see uh, what this author says, both to the, the Hebrews, the original readers, and to us today. Verse 14, or verse 13, sorry, it says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear by, he swore by himself. All right? So, remember, writer of Hebrews, writing something, whatever we're, we're reading right now, these, these uh, few verses, to encourage the Hebrews. And here's how he does it. He says, hey, I know you're in a tight spot, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to remind you of something that God has done in the past. In fact, thousands of years previously, Here's how he starts uh, right here in verse 13. He says, hey, remember when God made a promise to Abraham. It's kind of funny. He talks about how God swore by himself. Like he swore alone? No, he swore on himself. Did he cuss? No, he made a promise on his own. It's like when some of us say, man, I I promise you, I swear on my great, 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 great grandmother's gravestone, right? Like you're, 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 you're swearing by something that's like greater than you or better than you or older than you. Like I promise you on her grave, like that this is real, that this is, this is the reality. But God If God were to do something like that, he doesn't have a great, 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 great grandmother. I don't know if you've ever really thought about that. But so he swears on the greatest thing, which is himself. It's kind of funny to think about. But he's like, hey, Abraham, I'm making this promise to you, and I swear on myself, who is, by the way, God, who doesn't break a promise, who doesn't fail us, who is always faithful. Abraham, this, the thing that I'm about to tell you, will come to pass. What's that thing? 
Maybe you remember, maybe you don't. Verse 14 says, saying, God saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. The promise that God made to Abraham, this this dude who was old in his age, had a wife, Sarah, who wasn't able to have kids up to that point and was older as well. He told Abraham, I will bless and multiply you. I will make your name great. I will spread your descendants all throughout the earth. You will have more descendants than stars in the sky. You have so many ancestors that people, you, you will not be able to count how many there are. The writer of Hebrews in order for the right here and now situation that the Hebrews were going through, the original readers, says, hey, you want to know where you can cling to, where you can hold fast to, where you can find your anchor? It's in this God who thousands of years ago made a promise to Abraham. And check this out. Verse 15 says, and thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Not only did he make the promise, not only did he swear on himself, the greatest of all beings, instead of swearing on like his great-great-great-grandmother, which by the way, doesn't exist again, because God doesn't work like that. But when God made a promise to Abraham, even as crazy as it was, even as much as in his old age, him and Sarah didn't have kids, even Sarah, who laughed at the thought of God's going to give us, give me kids In our old age, not possible, but God fulfilled the promise to Abraham. He showed himself faithful. He showed himself the promise keeper. And Abraham now, at that point, it was almost 4,000 years later. At this point, for us in 2022, it's like 6,000 years later. 6,000 years went by and God was faithful to Abraham. He gave him Isaac. And, and, and from this whole family line gives countless descendants, more descendants than, than we can possibly number. And ultimately brought Jesus from the line of Abraham to truly bless and save the world. God was faithful to Abraham. Why is this important? The writer of Hebrews is trying to help them see, hey, that God that was faithful to Abraham, faithful not just when he made that promise, but faithful to see the promise all the way through and then some who who kept that promise, he is still faithful today. He is still that same God today. You know, this is part of the reason, I know not all of you were here last week, but we wrote these stories of hope. We just asked you guys, hey, think about a time where you saw God show up. Or think about a time where you thought everything was hopeless and then some hope was brought in. It's because for us and for the readers here in Hebrews, we, we have to be able to look back and see where God has worked and moved and been faithful in the past and know by seeing his past faithfulness, seeing his, his promise keeping, seeing that he is God, there is no one greater that that same God will keep his promises today that same God will remain faithful today, and that same God is the one we can continue to have hope in, and as we're about to read, who is the anchor of our souls. So the writer goes on, and he kind of talks through uh, verses 16, 17, 18. He talks about the significance of this Jesus, or, uh, God making a promise, kind of swearing by himself. And he talks about God being the one who will answer the promises. Then in verse 18, uh, it says, So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. He's saying, hey, you know why God did this? You know why God continues to do this? You know why I'm reminding you of this? Is so that we 
who are seeking refuge, we who are in trouble, we who need some encouragement, we who don't know where to turn, we who maybe feel like we've lost our hope, can know that this is the God that we can hope in. Verse 19 says, this might be some of your life verses right here. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You know, the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise was Jesus. Jesus. He's the one who's gone before us. He's the one who's made a way. He's the one who was the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. And he's the one who's given us access to God. He's the one that we can put our hope in. He's the one that when we are experiencing anxiety, he offers us peace. He's the one who in the midst of us needing help, he is our, he, he is our source of help. It's him. He's the one. It's, it's Jesus. He is the anchor of our soul. When you are going through something and you want to give up, I'm not just talking about studying or, or working out or something kind of silly like that, even though you, you can hold fast to Jesus in that moment. But I mean when the waves and the winds of this life hit, hit your ship, so to speak. Like, like what, what does an anchor do? It's meant to steady a ship. And that when, when everything seems to be tumultuous around us, when we seem to be in a storm and we want to give up, we want to jump ship, we want to leave, we want to stop, that he would be the anchor of our souls and keep us steady through it all. And it's easy to praise God when everything's easy and simple or when you're here on a Sunday morning, right? But when you get out into the real world and you experience real life and maybe you experience real storms, man, isn't that when things get so much more difficult? In fact, I think there's kind of like a, a really quick, short example of that when it comes to Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, Jesus, he enters Jerusalem and he's riding on a donkey and all these people gather around, a great crowd gathers around and they pluck uh, palm branches from these trees. It's kind of interesting to think about a bunch of trees in Jerusalem just being little nubs like standing there around because everybody's plucked the palm branches off these trees, right? But there was tons of people doing this and they're waving the branches, they're laying them down before this, this donkey as, as Jesus comes uh, into Jerusalem and they're shouting, Hosanna! Like they're praising him, they're blessing his name, they're, they're partying in Jesus' name, they're so excited to see him. Don't you think, like man, that's a cool picture. I, I hope that that's what our life looks like. That, that kind of looks like a life that's anchored in Jesus, doesn't it? Kind of does. But then just a few days later, when the storm hits and when the opinion of the crowd changes and when the culture around them shifts, many of those same people who were praising Jesus as he enters in were now shouting for his death and his crucifixion on the cross. Those were not people who were angered by Jesus. They were swept and moved by their circumstances. Their opinions were changing with the opinion of the day or the opinion of their peers. But people who are anchored in Jesus, who hold fast to him, who find him as the hope of our lives, we're not, we're not swayed by those things. But our ship is steadied by him. 
So for you, when you, when you hit rough times, where is it that you're finding your anchor? Have you done this? Have you, have you tried to find it in people? Like when things get really hard, you just, you turn to your friend. It's not wrong to turn to your friend. But you're like, hey, I just, I just need you through this whole thing. Like you, you have to be my rock. You have to be my solid place. You have to be my safe net. And may, maybe you haven't said it like that, but you've kind of thought it or felt it. Like I just need somebody to be my safety right now. Or have you turned to, to things to, to numb the pain or to numb your mind as you're going through these hard things? Like I just don't even want to think about this thing right now. So whatever it is for you, if it's some sort of entertainment or it's some sort of indulgence for yourself, you turn to these other things and you try to make them the anchor, but people will fail. Things fade away. Nothing and no one holds as strong as Jesus does. Let him be the anchor of your soul. It's not just about something that we know, though. That's great, like to know, okay, Jesus has to be the anchor of my soul. But, but I think there's actually a way that we can practically live this out, that we can practically live in a way that shows, okay, I know, I don't know the next step. I don't know how this is going to end. I don't know how God might show up. I don't know how he ch- might choose to resolve this issue or if it will not be resolved until maybe the end but I'm going to put my hope in Jesus. Here's what it looks like. It's actually something that we've already read, but we kind of skipped over. In verse 15, this is Abraham's response to hearing God make a promise. I will bless you. I will multiply you. Abraham moves forward in faith and moves forward in a way that I think we can learn from. It says, and thus, verse 15, Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. What was Abraham doing once he knew, like, okay, this is what God's promised, this is what he's told me, and I'm going to believe it. I'm going to trust in it. I'm going to anchor myself in that. What did he do? He patiently waited. You know what we've said about hope this entire series? Is that hope is not wishful thinking. It's not like, man, I hope that happens, or I hope he or she likes me. But it's waiting on God, knowing that he is faithful, knowing that he's the promise keeper knowing who he is, and Abraham is an example of that. What did that practically look like? Okay, I'm going to patiently wait. What does that look like every single day? Every day, Abraham got up, knowing the promises of God, knowing who he was, even though he didn't know. And get this, Abraham never saw the promises completely fulfilled. He never saw Jesus. Jesus was 4,000 years after Abraham. He never saw all of his descendants because that's kind of how it works. Like, you die and other people are continue to come from your line. Like, Abraham never saw on this earth, while he was here on the earth, the completeness of God's promise. But he was trusting him. And so every day, patiently waiting looked like this for Abraham. He got up. He took care of his family. He got up. He loved his wife. He got up. He, he took care of the business things that were going on. He got up. He milked a goat or something, right? Like all the things that, that Abraham would have done, he got up and did the things that God had, had given him right in front of him. He got up and kind of like one of our hope stories talked about earlier, he did the things that he knew he was called to do and let God take care of the rest. So what does it look like for us to patiently wait or for us to faithfully wait? Maybe that's an even better way to say it. It looks like we get up and we are faithful about our school. We get up and we love the people that God has placed around us. We get up and we go after living the life that God's called us to. 
We, we get up and we read our Bible. We, we get up and we live the life that God has put right in front of us and we let God take care of everything else. Knowing that he is faithful, knowing that he's a promise keeper, knowing that he is the anchor of our soul. That's the kind of life that I'm praying for myself, that I would be able to wait patiently. Even there's a lot of things I wish that God would solve and solve right now, I wanna wait patiently. And that's the kind of life that I'm praying for you as well. Let me pray for us. God, it's not easy to do this. It is not easy with all the things that are going on in our lives and in the world around us. We want to see you move right now and in very specific ways. But we don't have that control. And you haven't called us to have that control. So help us in the midst of all the things going on in us and around us to let you, Jesus, be the anchor of our souls, the one who has gone before us, the one who has done it all for us, That's what we look forward to as we talk about Easter and celebrate Easter this next week. Help us to rely on and trust in you and every single day to get up and wait patiently, to wait faithfully. May that be true of me. May that be true of us in this room. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.